everyone, Madeline Dell here, the Chapter Goddess. I am a mom, author, blogger, freelancer, podcaster, producer, and overall creative. With this show, I really want to focus on creatives and bring their authentic self to life. How are they motivated to pursue their passion? What have been the struggles along the way? Does self-care play an important role in who they are today and how they connect with the creative flow? Bringing one's authentic self to the forefront is important in this world that we live in currently. Sharing your self-care, your tips, and how you stay on track for things without losing it completely is also important. Self-care is not talked about enough, and authenticity and self-care are what I like to highlight with my creatives, as well as getting to know them. So, get ready for a fun and entertaining show. Hit the like button, subscribe if you haven't already, and let's get ready to meet this episode, yes. Today's episode is sponsored by Creative Edge Publicity. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode with the Chapter Goddess. We are going to be chatting with an author today about him and his work and all his creative endeavors. So without further ado, let me bring him in and I'll let him introduce himself and then we'll dive right in. Hi, I guess I'm up. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ben Monroe. I'm an author from Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area region. I've lived here most of my life. I write horror stories of various sorts. Um, uh, and I guess that's a pretty quick intro for me. Nice. So... I'm going to kind of dive into the horror aspect because that's a fun genre. There's so Absolutely. many fun horror ideas. What drew you to that originally? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny. I'm, as long as I can remember, uh, I, I've loved two things, reading and monsters. Um, you know, I, I've got a, a picture uh, that my my mom saved from when I was little in nursery school, where I guess I had just seen the Lon Chaney Wolfman movie, Ooh. Lon Chaney Jr. Sorry, to be specific, the Wolfman movie, uh, and in like a, three or four years old, drew this picture of the Wolfman, and I was describing to the teacher like you know what the plot of the Wolfman was, and I think you know in my three or four year old understanding, the plot was a man got bitten by a wolf, now he's a Wolfman, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I just thought that was neat. And I remember uh, being a little bit older, same age, uh, when I was old enough to walk down to the local comic book store buying comics. And my favorite one uh, was the Classics Illustrated version of The Odyssey. Ooh. And I just remember loving, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Cyclops and Scylla and Charybdis and all these cool monsters that were in that. And from there, uh, you know, it just it kind of snowballed from there, loving, you know, all the old Universal Classics, the Frankenstein, Wolfman. As a teenager, I got into more modern horror movies, The Exorcist. Not well, it wasn't really modern when I was a teenager. It was a little bit old by then. Uh, Night of the Living Dead, all the the really you know more modern squishy stuff. Um, and so yeah, because I always love monsters. Yes, no, that that actually makes me happy to hear that it sh started showing up at such a young age for you. Because mm. my son is also really big about his monsters, and he's five so nice. he's been like that since i can't remember i can't remember so what, what's uh, his favorite monster oh man he likes uh he what he calls it the wizard but it's like a mashup of like a dragon a wizard um a lizard because it's got like lizard abilities nice. and <laughs> people get to it and, like antlers or something because like, this monster he's created in his mind um, stuff and i'm just like yeah Yes, absolutely. I'm That's encouraging great. him to embrace that creative side because, I mean, as an author and like results in you too as well. Like the, all that creativity with all the monsters has come and aided you later in life and writing, right? Right, right, absolutely. So that's yes, 
That makes me very happy. So with your horror stuff, do you lean towards like the cleaner experiences or the super gory? Um, <clears throat> I, I tend to like to build suspense, you know, uh, things happen slowly, methodically, keep happening, happen, and things get worse and worse. And then I like to use gore almost as a punctuation, you know, where in a sentence you would have, you know, verbs and subjects and everything, and then an exclamation point at the end, you know, <clears throat> that's where the gore comes in. Um, I think it can be used well for, you know, a, a point, but I don't like to over rely on it. Mm -hmm. That's a good aspect for writing. With your horror and stuff, when did you start writing like your first actual horror story? Do you remember kind of close to what age instead of like a fantasy story? I do. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of weird because as a as a working author now, I really only started writing fiction professionally really in the last five or six years. I kind of noodled with it, fiddled around. Um, before that, I did work uh, as like a copywriter and a technical writer and did some um, uh, editorial work for small companies that weren't really in, you know, the creative field and just you know, noodling around there. Um, but as far as, you know, playing with it, um, gosh, I mean, I, I remember specifically writing a couple of stories as early as in high school, uh, you know, and they always had a monster theme to them. You know, I'm, I'm one of them, I'm remembering we had an assignment, write a story that used color. Right. And we had to put colors into the story. I wrote the story about these guys, you know, going on a camping trip in the woods and they come across a swamp and there's a monster and the monster's bad, does bad mm. monster things to them and trying to get all those colors into it. Uh, and actually, one of the funny things I remember at the time was then we had to get up and read in front of the class, which is, you know, one of my least favorite things to do. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I got a lot of feedback from the other students they basically said, well, you didn't use any colors. You, you, it was the, the, sorry, the story was too scary. And you didn't use any of the colors that we were given. And the teacher stopped. She's like, whoa, hang on a second. He had every color that you had asked, you know, that would had been in the assignment integrated into the story. But apparently, I'm kind of crowing here a little bit, my story was engaging enough and scary enough that they were more engaged with the story and not listening for the actual point of the assignment. So that was pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And it's totally not a bad thing either. Right. So. <laughs> Because oh. they were wrapped up in what I was doing. So yeah, they just kind of, it was kind of created the story in their mind versus them just hearing those specific things. Right. That's how you know you're a good storyteller. So I think so. Yeah. And, do you, and took, do you feel sure, like you kind of built on that? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with these, these virtual chats. You're never quite sure who's talking next. Um, I have, you know, I... Uh, I spent some time working in the, the tabletop role-playing game field. I wrote some adventures and things there uh, full-time for a while and then as a freelancer for a while. Um, and I played a lot of those games growing up as well. And so I always, even when I wasn't writing, you know, in that before I started doing it really seriously a few years ago, I always consider myself a storyteller. You know, I always enjoyed getting my group of friends together and working out these scenarios that you do in a, in a role-playing game. Uh, coming up with the plots and doing all that kind of stuff. And and I think that served me well, actually, even though I wasn't writing when I was doing that, because, you know, when you're essentially with some friends riffing a story, just going along with it, you're looking at them all around the table and seeing what's engaging them and what they're losing interest in. And I think I was able to take that to my writing later. Uh, so Yeah, that that is a very good thing to take away. I've known several authors have pulled a lot of their ideas and kind of like inspiration from tabletop games specifically more mm -hmm. so that I've heard is D&D &D, so and right. was that one you ever played oh yeah yeah that was where you know when in my generation that's where everyone started and then we moved on some of us moved on to other things and I, I, I played so many different games back then yeah it's amazing the inspiration that comes from that game <laughs> so oh, yeah. <laughs> um I'm gonna shift us a little bit and let's talk about your latest release, ah, latest <laughs> release, The Seeding. Uh-huh. Tell me a little bit about that. What's it about? So The Seeding, I would make the joke, it's about 375 pages. Haha, -ha, dad joke right there. <laughs> um, the Seeding is about uh, a family going on vacation to a small town in northern Sierra, Sierra Nevada's northern California mountains, um, and things start to go poorly. 
we find out pretty early on that the teenage daughter of the family, Kimmy, is sort of latently psychic. She's got some interesting senses that she can do. Nothing is, is you know, uh, extreme as like a carry or a fire starter kind of thing. But she can, she finds stuff that's been lost sometimes and has weird hunches. And there's this thing in the surrounding area that kind of latches onto her ability and figures out a way that it can use her for its schemes, which are essentially to escape the area that it's been trapped in for many years, if it can maybe use her in certain ways. So, Ooh. and then everything goes goes downhill from there. Man, so I take it he does escape a little bit then and they have to put him back or maybe not? Nah, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Where did the inspiration for this story uh, stem from? Oh gosh. Um, it's funny when when I was working on the thing. I just finished my first novel. I was writing a bunch of short stories. I, I knew I want to jump on another book. You know, I, I had so much fun writing the first one um, that I'm like, I, I really want to keep doing this. This is really fun. And one of the things I found was really helping in my creative goals by essentially recharging my creative self mm-hmm. uh, was getting out of the house going for hikes going for runs and the, the trails nearby just change of scenery um, at the time we were experiencing a pretty extreme couple of years of drought here in the oh, again yeah. bay area northern california it was getting pretty bad um, and there's a lake i go i'm pointing, pointing sorry I'm, I'm a handsy you're talker. good you're good <laughs> uh, I, I get that there's a lake a couple of miles east of my house, which I was running around and, and hiking around a lot, a man-made lake. Um, and I was noticing over a couple months that the water level was getting lower and lower and lower. Uh, they have these little you know, floating docks that people can fish off of or you know, put their, you know, drive their boats up to when they're tooling around the lake. And I remember at some point seeing those docks had actually gotten to the point where they were like right on the ground you know the the lake had receded so far that there was just just dirt there and i don't know why this thought popped into my head but i was thinking you know suddenly came up if there was a monster in that lake it's a lot closer to the surface now it's gonna be a lot easier for it to get people (laughs) yeah and so then i started thinking about um you know the, the ecological damage that was happening to that that little lake ecosystem there are herons and snakes and all kinds of birds and lizards and critters there and i was thinking boy if i was an angry monster who had been trapped in this lake for a long time and suddenly you know my ecology my ecosystem was collapsing what what might it do to get out what might it do to to escape that area and try to find someplace else to inhabit and so those are some of the initial thoughts that got me moving on this story they don't necessarily all you know, come up in the tale, but that was definitely where I was, I was starting from. Oh, that is fun. When you created the monster, did you go with an idea that's been used in the past to kind of build him? Or did you kind of pull your own stuff to create his physical appearance and everything else with him? It was sort of whole cloth. Um, The monster itself actually came to me uh, in a nightmare, uh, which I, which I don't have very often, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah. So when I when I have one, I remember it. I'm like, ooh, I should make a note of that quick. <laughs> yeah. And in in this nightmare, um, I was doing something completely innocuous. I don't remember the beginning. I was like cooking dinner or you know cleaning the bathroom or something. And I noticed a black spot on the wall. And as I watched it, the spot started like spider webbing out, like growing, um, uh, in, in like weird, strange ways. And then, you know, the, the spot got bigger. And what I realized was that it wasn't just like a spot mold or something. It was uh, an absence of reality is really the only way I can explain it. Like there was a void that was growing in spider webbing. And so that, uh, if, when you read the book, if anyone reads it, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize that in the monster. That is sort of what it is, this weird, shapeless nothingness that spreads and is, is bad. <laughs> Ooh, kind of like devours everything around it. Yeah, of. and like reaching out and grabbing. And in fact, one of the things I realized a little bit after the fact I was kind of inspired by was I saw a video on YouTube, anybody can look this up, of um, uh, fast motion or accelerated motion footage of slime mold growing and how it like reaches out pseudopods and tentacles. And, and watching that really you know quickly was like, wow, that's really, that's really weird. <laughs> 
Ooh, yeah, the, that that does lead to a good monster, though. So. Yeah, hope so. Fingers uh, crossed. <laughs> with the world building, did you stick with kind of like the concept of what the environment around you and the lake there looks like? Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, the, the, the city and the area that the story is set in, Golden Oaks, California, on the shores of Oro Lake, California, um, it's all made up. Uh, okay. it's, it's, you know, an environment I created, I wouldn't say out of whole cloth, it, it was, it's created for the story, but you know, the lake is very much like that lake that I described. It's just up the hill here. It's got shadows of Lake Tahoe as well, that sort of area in the Sierra Nevadas. Um, the town Golden, o oh, sorry, Golden Oaks, mm -hmm. very much inspired by, uh, Jackson, California, and I think Lockford, California. Mm -hmm. uh, my in-laws lived in Jackson for years, which is up right at the edge of the Sierras. And we spent a lot of time going to visit them up there and kind of poking around. It's this funny old, like, you know, gold rush era city. So it's kind of Ooh. got this old, weird kind of gothic old feel to it. But yet it's very modern. There's a 76 gas station here, a Safeway over there. And then this building that's been there since, you know, the 1800s. Ooh. So... That's, I like that you've tied the realistic stuff into it. Let's go ahead and talk more about the characters. Who, do you have one specific main character or is it a couple of them? It's sort of an ensemble cast. Um, I, I would say there are probably four main characters. There's uh, uh, Gabe and Laurie Barnes, who are the parents of this family. There's Kimmy, who's the teenage daughter. Um, and then there's officer Shauna Lasher, uh, who's mm -hmm. a, police, a police officer in town who kind of gets involved in the investigation. You know, as, as weird things start happening in town, people start disappearing, she's looking into it, the pads keep crossing. Uh, and, and so those are the four main characters and a few side characters that come in for a chapter or two and and then don't come back. Yeah. And <laughs> or I should say are removed from the story. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned in the document that Shauna was supposed to kind of be a throwaway character. How did she finagle her way into becoming more? She was a, a very strong personality. Uh, she did not want to be ignored. <laughs> um, she, she comes in, like, literally, I think I mentioned in, in that, that uh, thing I wrote for you. Um, she came in in one scene, you know, a, a fight breaks out between the main character, not the main character, the, the father character, Gabe, who actually started as the main character, I should say. It was funny. Mm -hmm. The whole book was going to be from his perspective. And then everyone else had things to say. And I couldn't shut up these characters, so... Um, so Gabe gets into a fight in the parking lot, yeah. Um, and the, the police officer Shauna comes to break it up and you know, make everyone go the way they're supposed to go. And then she needed to come back a little bit later. You know, when one of the guys was dragged to jail, I had something going on with her there, and then she kept having questions. And and so um, yeah, she was meant to be in that one scene and then go away. And then mm. I just kept coming. She was fun to write. She's a very strong personality. And she clearly was not going to let me write the story without her in it. Hey, they can be very demanding. Would yeah. you say that she is maybe your favorite from the story or was another your favorite character? Oh, man. I like her a lot. She was a lot of fun to write. Uh, Gabe and Lori, the, the parents in the, the group, um, they were fun as well. But I think I really did have a lot of fun writing Sean's story. Um, there's another character, Charlie Gaines, who's really only in for a couple a couple chapters as well. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed writing him. Um, he, again, sort of shows up and then, you know, shuffles off stage. Um, but the scene, he gets one chapter essentially <clears throat> to himself when he's not surrounded by other characters. And writing him was sort of like, oh, this guy showed up and he's going for a walk and he's thinking about his life. And then I got to sort of create a little chapter's worth of backstory for him. Now before mm. before things go sour. In answer to your question, yeah, I think Shauna was probably my favorite character to write. Awesome. Do you do backstories for your characters as they come, or do you prep them ahead of time? I do most of it as I write. Okay. Uh, I, I might come up with a few key points. What's this person's job? You know, what do they look like a little bit here and there? Um, but I tend to be, you know, what we call a pantser. I like to write, <laughs> start writing and see where it goes. Uh, the, the phrase I often use is I'm writing the story to find out what happens. Um, and if, if I've, I've tried outline, in fact, I think one of the reasons why it took me so long to really start getting into fiction 
uh, was because I tried doing those excessive outlines for a story. And every time I'd do one, I'd get to the end and feel like, well, well, now I know what happens. You know, I'm, I'm not interested anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Now you want me to write it again, but even longer? No, I'm, I'm moving on to the next thing. So, yeah. It sounds kind of like you're more of a discovery writer that way, discovering how yeah. it's going to end, who the character is going to be, how they're going to fall into place as you go. I kind of write like that, but I've been doing like a rough outline. It does not like the permanent outline, but like an idea of like what's going to happen. So I feel like right. my endings always change from what I write down. <laughs> so, it's kind of entertaining. Have you found that happen when you start working on a book that the ending decides to change from what you've pictured it to end as? Uh, sometimes. Um, I know, you know, I've, I've written... Oh gosh, I think I just did a count last night. I was wondering, uh, almost 20 short stories in the last couple of years as well. Uh, half of them have been published at this point. I think there's like six or seven more that are, have been sold and are coming out soon. Um, and and that's you know, an interesting uh, difference between writing short stories and long stories. But I, I bring it up because, in answer to your question, you know, I, I kind of knew what the ending of The Seething was going to be. I, I knew how the monster was going to be resolved by the end of the book. I didn't know where the characters were going to be by the end of the story. You know, they could have done anything they wanted to, and they, they did what happened in the story. Um, there's at least in those short stories, one or two stories where I came up with an idea for an ending. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this is such a great ending. Now I got to write a whole beginning just to get to that point. And, and so in, in those cases, um, it was almost like I had the target and I'm just kind of meandering around until I get to, you know, exactly what it is I'm trying to say. Yeah. Going through all the different climax and events and everything to get there. Oh, right. I like it. Um, what was, what is, what are some of the differences you've observed between writing short stories and novels? Well, novels take a lot longer for sure. <laughs> um you have a lot more room to breathe with a novel, I think, obviously. Um, you can meander a little more. Uh, when I wrote The Seething, um, I definitely would write for a couple months. Um, and then I found it was good because, again, since I'm, I'm not really 100% sure where I'm going with the story, mm -hmm. it was great to write a couple chapters, set it aside, work on a short story to kind of clear my head, um, and then come back to The Seething. I'm like, okay, I got some better ideas now. I, I, I have a an idea where this is going. And a lot of times what I found was really kind of interesting, and this is kind of the fun part of the creative process sometimes, is I had set up all those clues already and I just hadn't consciously figured out, oh, of course, this makes sense. This is where it's supposed to be going now. It took me some time when I laid out those breadcrumbs for myself to really understand where it was all going. Um, and in the short stories, you know what I love there is like I have an idea. Like I've got one came out a few years ago, uh, Desiderium, about a guy who is possessed by an alien entity, and we see the story every once in a while when the possessive thing loses its hold. This guy wakes up. He's like, you know, holy cow, how did I get here? <laughs> and it's it's told in the entire story goes over his entire life it's like a you know, 10 page long story it goes oh. over his entire life 50 60 years of which he's only conscious for maybe three or four minutes he keeps kind of flashing on what is going on you know and, and having these weird fugue states and, and that came from an idea of me wondering what would it be like if you figured out you were actually a character in a film a movie oh, yeah. and you were only existing in the parts of your life that hadn't been edited out by the editor you know, you, you like, holy, hang on. I was, I was, you know, a year ago I was over there and now it's like right now and, and I'm over here. What's, what is going on? So, um, so I'm meandering a little bit tangentializing, as I say, uh, short stories for me, it's fun because I have like this one simple idea I'd like to explore for a little bit, play mm -hmm. with it and see, you know, what does that do? Whereas the novel, you can stretch it out. You can have multiple ideas and many themes going on. Oh, do you prefer one over the other? At this point, I really don't. I, I've enjoyed doing them both. Uh, I've, I've likened them, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, was, I took up uh, trail running uh, a while ago. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't actually done it in about a year or so, foot injury. Um, but I started it around the same time I was doing all these projects. And I, I really found a connection there. You know, a, a novel is like running a long distance, you know, five or 10K. 
Whereas a short story is like, I'm just going to go for a quick run around the neighborhood, you know, just, just get my head clear. Um, and so I, I think they both are a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to keep doing both of them as long as people keep wanting to read these things. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> is always probably... good. Yeah. When did you know you wanted to be an author? Because I know we mentioned that you came up with stories and ideas when you were younger, but when did you decide to go for it? Well, it's it's been something that I've I really wanted to do for a long time, but there was that leap of faith that I kind of had to take. Um, because again, you know, I told stories, I fiddle with stories here and there, um, and honestly, it, in some ways, somebody took that leap of faith in me, which was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Um, I my first novel, uh, In the Belly of the Beast, and Other Tales of Cthulhu Wars. It was a combination. A short story collection, and then the second third of the book is this 80,000 word novel, uh, was inspired by, based on uh, the Cthulhu Wars board game. It's a mm-hmm. post apocalyptic Lovecraftian horror board game. Uh, the publisher of the game had asked me to do a little bit of content work for the rule book. Uh, Can you help out with this a little bit? Oh, and we know you like to write short stories. Could you write like a little quick short story for the introduction to the rule book to set the tone? Yeah, sure. 500 words. That sounds fun. Um, and they liked that a lot, right? So then they said, well, hey, we've got like a, a rules card for each army. You know, if you're playing a different army in the game, every player gets their own little card with the rules. You know, yeah. we have all this extra space on the back of the card. Could you write a short story to set the tone for each one of those factions, right? So each one had its own feel. Each one was based on one of the gods of the H.P. Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos. And, and so I'm like, okay, so I wrote these little short stories. And I said, hey, we, we really like that a lot. <laughs> it just kept going, right? We like yeah. those. Could you write uh, a 2,000-word story for each of these armies? And we're going to use them. I think the original idea was to put, they were designed to be written, I'm sorry, they were written to be put onto like a single page of a magazine, right? And there was going to be a short story here. And then opposite that was going to be an ad for the game. So it was going to be a marketing collateral. Like, yeah, sure, 2,000 words. And I get to write, you know, a weird thing about, you know, a Wendigo eating people's tongues or something, you know, who knows? (laughs) And so so we wrote all, I I did all those. And then they're like, well, you know, (laughs) while we're at it, would you be interested in writing a novel for this thing? And that was sort of, that was where the fear came in, right? It's like, okay, a novel, that sounds like a, a big deal. But I just said, yes, I'm totally going to do it. Let's go for it. And so, uh, and so I did. Um, and they ended up, they didn't do those advertisements. What they ended up doing was taking those 2000 word stories and putting them as the first part of this book. So it's like, you know, I think eight or nine of these short stories, which sort of set the tone for the world, explain how the world is collapsing into this monstrous anarchy. And then the novel takes place as the, the game is beginning. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was funny. Like I said, I'd always wanted to write a novel. I never really had enough faith in myself that I could do it. But then this project came along. Um, I always joked that it was sort of like a copywriting gig that uh, suffered from extreme scope creep. They just kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, yeah. But after I proved to myself once that I could do it, you know, then I just, I decided to keep going. Oh, that's a really cool opportunity that you got to do that. Um, Very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Um. With your regular writing routine outside of like doing that project back in the day, how do you go about setting goals for the different stories you create? Well, that's a good question. Um, When writing stories, you know, I'm usually, uh, some of these have been uh, pieces where I was invited to to write something for a book. A lot of them are just open submissions. You know, Mm -hmm. I see, uh, I follow a lot of different publishers and, and, you know, Facebook groups and stuff where they put out calls for, for stories. And I see something that strikes my fancy. I start writing it uh, and just, you know, work on it. <laughs> uh, you know, a few hundred words a day if I can. Sometimes the writing goes better than other days. Um, you know, I've had days where I've written almost an entire short story in one day just because it was going so well. And sometimes even if I'm enjoying it and it's going well, you know, maybe in my life, I just don't have the time to focus you know, an entire afternoon on writing that day you know, between being a dad, having you know, kids, yeah. uh, a husband, a day job and all that. You sometimes have to figure out where you can sneak in a little bit of time here and there. Um, and that is, again, one of the fun things I like about writing a novel is that's something I can always say, okay, it's going to stop here for now. 
and I'm going to come back to it in a few days, a week, a month, however long I've got you know, uh, before I need to get back to it. Ooh. Um, another question for you, speaking of family, um, does your family support your writing dreams? What are some of the things they do to encourage you to keep it up? Um, yeah, they do. I, I admit, you know, my wife does not read horror, so she hasn't read much of what I've written, but she seems supportive of it. She, she likes seeing the books come out and we always get a little excited. Yeah. Um, one of the traditions I started with my kids uh, a couple of years ago, in fact, I want to make more of this is whenever I hit a big milestone, you know, finish a novel, uh, or something, you know, when I finish the Cthulhu Wars, when I finish the seething, when I sold the seething, uh, we just go out for a big ice cream party. We'll go to the local ice creamery over the, the hill there. Let's go have Sundays, root beer floats or something, you know. And that's not, it's like something you could do anytime anyway, but it's just kind of fun. It's little, little milestones. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah they're, they're very supportive. What decision led to you celebrating milestones like that? You know, writing it's it's a pretty solitary occupation um and in in many jobs uh other careers of any, any sort you can see something that happened you have a physical thing i made a widget i moved stuff from here to there i you know produced a thing mm -hmm. um and in writing you go hey i finished 10 chapters okay well <laughs> but nobody knows but you you know and it's exciting to you yeah um and so I, I found it was just kind of fun to get everyone else in on it as well. You know, to, if nothing else, just to let them know for me, this is a big deal. Hey, I finished an entire book. I finished another book. I did this, you know. Um, and it's also kind of an excuse for me to to let people know what I did without, I'm kind of bragging about it, I guess, but without feeling like I'm bragging about it. Like, hey, yeah. I'm really happy for myself. Let's Let's go celebrate, you know. Yeah, no, it's important to celebrate those those wins. So. Right. And again, yeah. it doesn't have to be anything huge. You know, you don't mm -hmm. go buy yourself a new car or something. You know, let's go have ice cream cones. Yay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very, I feel like a reasonable celebration because, right. I mean, we don't all have like bookers of money. So right. <laughs> that's one thing about the writing world is as an author, you don't make a ton of money. Unless you are super established and are right. just like constantly plugging away, which can be exhausting and overwhelming. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which speaking of overwhelm and exhaustion, what is something you do for self-care to keep yourself from becoming burnt out or getting writer's block? Um, well, again, you know, part of it for me when I'm writing is it really helps to not plan too far ahead. I, I mentioned that earlier. You know, I I like to come to the page excited to wonder what's going to happen next. I mean, it's sort of like to me when I'm writing, I'm, it's almost like I'm watching a movie un unveil in my head. Mm -hmm. And so if I pause at certain times, you know, almost like watching an old old chapter serial back in the 30s, those old Rocketman movies and stuff, you know, oh, I really want to know what happens next. So a lot of times I'm writing, if the writing has been going well, I might even stop at a cliffhanger moment and say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to pause here and I'm going to come back to this tomorrow because I really want to find out what happens next. But I know if I push it another few hundred words, then I will resolve that and not be so excited. You know, I'll, I'll be into the next part, you know, the next day, that'll be fine. But letting myself come back excited. Um, but outside of writing, uh, you know, I still really make time to get out of the house, uh, go for walks around the neighborhood, just get a change of scenery, uh, still like to go hiking in the hills, um, go to a movie once in a while. You know, it doesn't have to be any, again, you know, if we're talking money stuff here, it doesn't need to be an expensive, extravagant mm -hmm. vacation. Um, there was a book, it was pretty popular years ago, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Yes, you know, I you know, read like that and done the whole the morning pages and everything. Yeah, right. Um, I love the artist date things that she does. Yes. You know, go out and just do something. Uh, do something semi creative, not necessarily related to what you're doing. If you're writing, maybe paint a picture. If you're painting, maybe write a poem. Um, or, uh, but but get out. Take yourself out and give yourself the ability to be creative in a different way. Um, in fact, that makes me think uh, when 
COVID happened and we all got stuck at home, um, I picked up an old hobby, which was painting, uh, building and painting uh, monster model kits, um, you know, Dracula's and Frankenstein's and stuff. And yeah. it, it started just because I remember building those as a kid and having a lot of fun with them. But at the same time, when my kids were doing distance learning, we were all stuck in the house. I really wanted to sort of model to them, model, right, model kits, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the behavior of doing creative things <clears throat> that didn't involve staring at a screen, you know, yeah. put down the computers and paint a picture or draw something or, you know, something different. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And teaching <clears throat> kids that there's more to doing creative tasks and enjoying things outside of the screen is extremely important with how much screen time kids on average get these days. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, which speaking of taking a break and like focusing on your health, um, what does success look like for you? Oh boy, that's, that's funny. It's a question that's come up a little bit recently. Um, you know, I do have a a dream, a goal of someday, you know, doing writing fiction as a full-time career. You know, I would love to be making you know, a simple middle-class income doing that. You know, it's it's yeah. not there yet. Hopefully someday that would be that would be great. You know, if I could just really focus on telling my stories, that would be awesome. For now, really, I just get happy knowing that people are reading the stories and enjoying them on some level. Um, I, I a few a couple of years ago, actually, uh, I had posted a free zombie story that I wrote a long time ago. Um, I put it on Amazon. I think it was like The Walking Dead was coming back. And so I, I posted it for free for the weekend. Hey, anybody wants it, download it, read it. You know, happy zombie day. <laughs> yeah. And I got a, a tweet from a woman uh, pretty shortly after that. She was saying that she had been, she saw it, she downloaded it. She was in the waiting room of her doctor's office waiting to get some really bad news, apparently. Um, and she said for 15 minutes while she was waiting, she was completely in the world of the story and out of her head and out of worrying about, you know, being worried about this procedure that was happening. And for me, that was like, that's why I wrote it. <laughs> you, know? Yes. you know, if you're taken out of your head and again, it's, it's post-apocalypse zombie story, guts munching and eyeballs popping all over the place, but it, it gave her when she was really stressed out, something different to think about for a few minutes. To me, that was really neat. That was a successful story. I love hearing stories like that because they're a lot of them are out there, but uh, there's also like people don't talk about them, but that's like one of the main reasons I feel like a lot of us write is to inspire somebody or help them is like, just take a break from life. Yeah. Right. And that, that is amazing that you, your story was able to do that. Um, I, I think so. Did she, do you think she, did you ever come in contact with her again on any other stories? Not that I remember, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was such a strong moment for me that it's stuck in my head for, for, you know, all these years since then. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, back to the writing idea. Do you have some themes that are recurring that tend to show up in your work? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would imagine, boy, if I'm trying to think over a bunch of different things, a lot of things that come up are people kind of worried about their current situation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of my favorite types of stories to read, uh, especially horror stories. I, one thing I should say is I tend to think of horror not as a genre, but as a storytelling style. Um, I always find it's interesting that horror is one of the only styles of fiction that's named for an emotion. You know, you, you feel horror, you experience horror, you don't feel action or science fiction, you know, arguably romance, but I haven't read enough romance to really have a, a good opinion about that. So I'm, I'm going to leave that for the experts. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite types of horror to read, and I think I, I, think I got it to it in the ceiling, uh, is the type of horror where it's regular people dealing with their regular lives yeah. and then something terrible comes along. You know, and something terrible that nobody else could experience. Um, my favorite example of this that I use frequently, actually, when I talk about this, uh, is Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. 
you know, you've got this family uh, that they've just started their life over. The dad got a new job as the hospital physician. Um, mom's doing mom stuff. And then, and then they experience it's regular people. You could relate to any of the other. the new guys that moved across the street. There's the doctor and the mom and the two kids. They're just regular folks. Um, and then the kid dies, right? The kid runs into the street. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read this book that was published 40 years ago. Uh, yeah. Kid runs in the street, hit by a truck. It's tragic. And so you've got this thing where this regular family is dealing with probably the worst thing that could happen to a family, right? And then these ghosts, these Wendigo monsters show up and start making everything worse. And you start to see the, the, the psychological spiraling of all the characters in the family. Um, and so that's probably that's kind of maybe one of the themes that I go for is regular people having regular lives and then things completely spiral out of control. Ooh, that is such a good, like, almost just, it's a good theme to have because there's so much play area with that. Right. Um, what would you say was the most challenging story that you've created? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I keep looking up here. Anybody wondering why Ben's looking up? Because I've got my my books on my writing desk right here, so I could look and see some things. Right. Just kind That's of jog good. my memory. Like, okay, which one <laughs> is the hardest? I look up just to think in general. So I, I yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so looking at all these guys here, one that actually did kind of throw me for a, it was fun. It threw me for a loop. Um but I was super enthusiastic to write it. I had a great time writing it. it was a story I wrote a couple summers, I guess about a year ago, uh, called The Patchwork Man, um, mm. which is essentially, I'm going to spoil the twist here. Anybody who hasn't read it yet wants to. It's its the Frankenstein monster in the Old West. Um, and so I was writing this thing, and it was a, I've been reading a lot of Westerns at the time, and a, a call came up for a weird Western collection. Uh, weird western for those who aren't familiar is essentially it's a new not new it's it's a, a very popular right now storytelling genre of horror western you know monsters in the old west mashed up and so yeah. this idea hit me like a ton of bricks frankenstein in the old west that would be a lot of fun um but it was the first thing i've written where i was really writing about somebody else's character so mm -hmm. it was trying to tell this story that i was you know the story i was trying to tell and I knew where I wanted it to go, um, but being respectful to the groundwork that Mary Shelley had laid, you know, 200 some odd years ago, uh, as well as many other iterations of the Frankenstein character in films and books and such. Um, so that one, I wouldn't even say it was a difficult story to write, but I think I, I, I put a lot of thought into, am I getting the character right here? Because it's not my character. It's Frankenstein monster at this point. It's everyone's character. <laughs> so... That's cool that you tied Frankenstein in. Um, have you heard of Splatter Westerns by chance? Yeah, uh, the I can't remember. Is it Grindhouse Press is doing all those? Is they have like a whole series of books of these. Yeah. I've read a few of them. Yeah, they were fun. It, I think it is them. I'm not sure. I've read a few of them, but I can't remember which publishing house. One of my friends that I went to college with wrote a story for them for that, the Splatter okay. Westerns. So that just seems like something that would kind of be like your alley, especially with you going into Westerns and doing horror. Have you thought about said, doing that? Oh, yeah. In fact, actually, The Patchwork Man, um, that short story, I loved it so much. I want to continue. I, I want to write more short stories about him. Um, and in fact, here, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the book down. This was the book, Blood on the Soil, yeah. Terror in the Wind, uh, was billed as a, a collection of splatter westerns um, yeah. from Bridget's Gate Press, the same people publishing The Ceiling. Uh, and so that was kind of funny also because I'm not a huge splatter reader. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I found myself having to, I think I mentioned this very early on that I kind of use gore as punctuation. Yeah. But with the patchwork man, I really had to kind of push the envelope a little bit. So in, in some ways he's kind of more of a, a hammer horror version of Frankenstein as opposed to the universal pictures version of Frankenstein. Yeah. And Spider Western is so different than a lot of gory novels. It's because I normally kind of shy away from more of the gory stuff. Right. But for some reason, it didn't bother me as much. And maybe it's just because it was tying in other aspects, kind of like what you've mentioned you do um, for the story. Sure. Um, so in the little 
chat sheet we've got, you mentioned working on a Star Wars project. So <laughs> let's dive into that. Share more of like what you did and how you got into that. I work on Star Wars, uh, the, the original Star Wars. Can you tell? Because I'm so old. No, um, <laughs> no, I actually I did work on, on Star Wars, the, the extended edition. Um, so in college, I was a film major. Um, and my, my emphasis in film was on writing and directing. So a, a lot of the classes I was taking were uh, on you know, screenwriting, and yeah. they also asked us to do some breadth stuff. So I took some creative writing classes, some classes on mythology and folklore, which was really kind of my interest in film. Um, was uh, That's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> but my last semester of college, uh, I applied for and, and scored uh, an internship at Industrial Light and Magic. Uh, which was just just up the road here for me, right, since I'm still in the Bay Area. And it just happened that when I was at ILM, they were getting started on what they call the special editions of the original trilogy of films. Uh, they were cleaning up some effect shots and adding new stuff into it. You know, they put put Jabba the Hutt back into the movie. If you ever saw the original cut, Jabba was not in there. They couldn't figure out how to make it work in 1976. And so... I was in the feature editorial department, which was the department that controlled all the, the film pieces that the special effects guys were doing. Uh, and I ended up getting this job because the, my, my supervisor uh, figured out what a, a huge Star Wars nerd I was. Apparently, I had hit it well enough that they decided to let me into the company for a little while anyway. And then they found out when I got there what a huge Star Wars dork I am. Um, and so I had this job, you know, among my other things I had to do was they gave me uh, photocopies of the original storyboards showing all the effect shots with time codes listed on each thing. And I had to go match those up to uh, a video cassette they had. So this thing, this time code becomes this. Uh, and then I would go into the original, the negative vault, which is, I mean, imagine like that scene in the Rage of the Lost Ark, you know, when he goes yeah. in the back and, and you've got all the artifacts stuck there and the things. That was basically like, they call it the Oneg vault, the original negative vault at, at the Skywalker, uh, sorry, uh, Kerner Labs. Yeah. The, the negative film strips of every piece of footage ILM had ever shot in a temperature controlled vault. And I would have to go in there, track down the time coded film strip to bring back to match up to the thing to you know tag yeah. all these things bring it to the editorial department and then they would go through and digitize those pieces of film and then send them off to the effects guys who are then going to i don't know clean up obi-wan kenobi's lightsaber or you know fix this matte painting or there's that the scene at the end of the movie where they're coming around yavin for toward the death star and they replaced all the model x-wings with cgi x-wings so that was that was what I was doing there at ILM. That was fun. Wow. That is really cool. And also that sounds like it was a ton of work. So it was. It was I mean, but it was fun worth work, it, you know? but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh man, because now you like you you put on the paper and you get to kind of like brag about being part of the crew that helped create that into right. a better version of itself. Well, some say it's not a better version, but it was definitely the <laughs> the, the, the modernized version of it, you know. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. I, I there's like probably it. always going to be argument on that. Um, it's kind of, that's well, kind of similar to like the almost like the retelling of, or not really retelling, like changing, say, but like a... <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, well, I can't I do that. Was... Like, say it without giving, like, adding in, and I don't want them to flag. Editorializing, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think it was Leonardo da Vinci who was quoted once as saying that a piece of art is never finished; it's simply abandoned. And that was sort of what Lucas was doing for many years. You know, he's like, I got another idea. I got, I want to go back and fix this. And at some point, I guess he sold the, the whole thing to Disney, and that was when he abandoned it and moved on. But he, he kept coming up with ideas, how to change stuff, how to fix stuff. And, and uh, yeah, nice. it's his movie. He can do what he wants, right? That is true. <laughs> that is true. It's his creation. Oh. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you and your work. Well, uh, it's a very complicated website name I've got. It's benmonroe.com, spelled just like it sounds. Um, 
so you can find basically anything about me there. You can find links to my social media, which I, I, I'm mostly active on Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find links to it there. Uh, there are links to all my books on there. There are links to different podcasts, interviews, and things I've done. You know, this one will be listed on there as well. Uh, you can also go to Bridget's Gate Press and uh, take a look for my book, The Seething, as well as a lot of other stuff. They've got a ton of great books they've put out recently. Mm-hmm. More coming out. Uh, the Seething. Uh, I'm not sure when this podcast will will launch, but the seating will be available as of March 23rd. Uh, anywhere you buy books, uh, you can get it through the Ingram Spark program. They call it. So if you're if you don't want to buy it from one of the big booksellers, go to your local indie neighborhood bookseller. Uh, give them the title, the seating, my name, Ben Monroe. And if they need the ISBN, you can find that somewhere. Uh, but it's it's available anywhere you buy books. Ooh, awesome! Well, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Check out Ben's books. Check out mine as well. Don't forget, you can find everything on my website. And yeah, Ben, we've reached the end. So, well, it's nice talking to you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe to get future notifications when shows come out. Also, be sure to check out my website. I have a blog featuring this creative with some other fun and interesting questions. You can also subscribe to my newsletter there to stay up to date with all things The Chapter Goddess and Madeline Dale. Once again, thanks for watching and have a great rest of the day.